Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make. But don't say we didn't warn you. And so I'm going to read it and then I'm going to talk about about it. it. Okay. Should I set the tone with some music? Like some. Oh, yeah. Boom. That's. I don't. You need more baseline in there, babe. But I didn't want to do bow, chicken, wow, wow, because like everybody does that. I was trying to do something a little more. Never mind. Just read. Welcome to the Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. And this week we're talking about the sonnets. What, 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 what sonnets? Sonnets. We need to work on that. Wiki, wiki. Yeah. Bouchica sonnets. Yeah. Anyway, what we do here on this here podcast is that sometimes we talk about things and usually those things that we talk about are Shakespeare. And when they're not Shakespeare, they're things related to Shakespeare in some kind of way. Uh But this week it's Shakespeare, but it's not a play. It's the sonnets. Yeah. Also, it's a 101 level episode, which means some things. Which means it's introductory level. It's everything you need to know to have a general understanding of these poems. Uh, And, well, we're not going to go into all of their major themes because there's 154 of them. We're going to give you uh, a few of our favorites and that's Mm -hmm. it. And then you can explore as you will. Um, And and so that means you're just going to get more of the other cool stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else, which is basically our opinions on all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Yeah, get ready to hear me talk about sex. Okay. Uh, I, I we're we're it's time for happy hour. It is time for happy hour, which yeah. is a bunch of stuff that we like. Oh yeah, we like stuff. <laughs> we like stuff. <laughs> we like stuff. We yeah. we like stuff that is related to social justice, but also there's just stuff that makes us feel good. So if you know anything about me at all, you know that I'm on sort of a zero waste kick and I've been trying to make small switches here and there in my lifestyle that help me do that right like switching to glass and trying I'm just trying not to bring plastic like new plastics into my home Mm -hmm. Uh, and then in the middle of this pandemic during the toilet paper crisis of 2020 (laughs) um, I discovered uh, I had discovered this website called Marley's Monsters they're a, um, a small business based out of Eugene Oregon what up, Eugene? And... Grass seed capital of the world. <laughs> yep. But Marley's Monsters was selling, they just started selling this stuff called Unpapers, which is basically just cloth toilet paper that you reuse, that you wash and reuse. Um, and I was like, uh, what? No. But apparently, I looked into it, and apparently, like, family cloth, it's called in a lot of families, is totally a thing, like reusable toilet paper. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that unless I get a bidet. So, and I had heard from a lot of people that mm-hmm. a bidet was awesome. I found, mm-hmm. you can find a variety of bidet attachments or even portable or travel bidets starting, like travel bidets starting at like 10 to $15, all the way up to like, you know, the really plush, you know, top top of the line tushy, which like I didn't spring for. The bidet I found was an attachment for my toilet for like 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a cost prohibitive thing, really. Um, the unpapers cost about $35, I think, currently on the website. But that is a switch that I made in tandem. So I switched, I got a bidet attachment and I also purchased a roll of unpapers. Um, and I got to tell you, folks, my butt's never been happier. Like <laughs> it's a it's been a really great switch. Um, I don't need to go into like all of the details of my butt on this podcast, (laughs) but I will say that it has saved me money. I have not bought toilet paper for eight months now. 
It has, you know, it barely impacted my water usage, um, mostly mm-hmm. because you use the water that's coming up through your toilet anyway, and like you just squirt. Anyway, so like if you're, I know Americans get really freaked out about bidets. I know that that is changing, but like mm-hmm. I used to be really freaked out by it because um, I was like, oh, that's so weird and European. Why do you have a second toilet? <laughs> that you like splash yourself but anyway it's not for everybody but if you're interested in like a zero waste switch um i found that those two things making that switch cost me less than a hundred dollars together and i have i have not regretted it in the slightest so that's what i love and that's what i'm recommending Tell us what you're loving right now. I well, I'm I'm gonna tell you about a thing that I actually fucking hated. But oh, in okay. the best way. Okay, like love to so, hate it. Yeah, there is a show uh-huh. on the Netflix. Yeah, it is called Tiny Pretty Things. I've it heard is of it. A murder ballet. It's <laughs> it's about like a boarding performing arts ballet high school prep school situation okay. in Chicago. So it's a bunch of teenagers and there's a, a an attempted murder and and then a real murder and a bunch of like fever dream nightmare sequences. It is the worst thing I've ever seen. And <laughs> I watched all seven seasons of Pretty Little Liars. Um, That's true. How you sat through all of that, I don't know. Yeah. And this is worse. And here's my theory on why it's worse. Like, first of all, the storytelling is just lazy. Like, the the very beginning of the show is, like, the main-ish girl, Nevaeh. Um, So, like, her teacher runs into the studio and they're like, she's like, Nevaeh, you got into the Chicago Ballet Theater. They want you. And Nevaeh's like, I thought they didn't want me. And they're like, they changed their mind. And she's, like, all self-satisfied. And then it's like a flashback to, like, before when she was just starting at this fancy prep school and then the rest of the season is, like, the before times. And they never come back to her getting into this professional dance troupe, which is just Mm. like sloppy storytelling. But also the acting is horrific. The best actor in the entire series is the girl who's in a coma. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. Um, And my theory on why they're such bad actors is because they're all actual dancers. Oh, sure. Like they, they do all of their own dancing clearly. And so I think, like, because the, they're they're dancers, they're not actors. Every single one of them. Also, everyone is beautiful. Of course they are. Because they're of, dancers. Obviously. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, the casting is pretty diverse, um, which I appreciate. The soundtrack is fucking banging. Uh, okay. But it's, it's a, it's a high school. The, they're children. Yeah. Not a one of them, a legal adult. And there is so much sex and like tits and butts and we see it all all of it wow i have some questions about yeah that um yeah i assume the actors themselves are not teenagers because that's like child porn that's what that is (laughs) um anyway it's very it's 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 so bad and i watched all 10 episodes in like the space of 18 hours oh boy wow that's that's overload that's a lot it's so bad (laughs) and amazing and horrible (laughs) um so you know if you're if you're into that is you know check it out it was some people really (laughs) dig like the trash tv Mm -hmm. and you need like a deep dive into some trash and it is trash oh god it's so bad wow yeah it's bad it's really awful and i can't recommend it enough (laughs) well thank you for that that's great thank you that concludes our very strange happy hour today my god 
Yeah. Uh, okay, so usually this would be the point in a 101 episode where we would give you a five-minute summary of mm-hmm. whatever the play is that we're talking mm-hmm. about. We are not going to do that for 154 <laughs> sonnets and epic two or three epic poems. Yeah. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to skip that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to jump straight into uh, another feature that we do called A Taste of Text. Where we mm-hmm. give you a small but crucial reading from in this case, the poems, to mm-hmm. give you a bit of their flavor. So what mm-hmm. Jess and I have done is we have picked our favorites sonnets, our favorite mm-hmm. sonnets, mm-hmm. or one of our favorites, because you're mm-hmm. allowed to have more than one. Yep. <laughs> Just so you know, you can yep. have more than one favorite sonnet. And we do. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we're going to uh, read them, and we're each going to tell you why we like them, what we think it's about, what resonates with us, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way you can hear some sonnets today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Take it away, Jess. Yeah. So this is this is my current favorite. It's one of one of my favorites. Um, my other favorites are seventy two and no seventy three, um, twenty nine, and anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. This is Sonnet fifty seven. Okay. Uh, and read it's along. it's the sexiest sonnet, is and it? it's the kinkiest sonnet. Okay. Uh, sonnet fifty seven. Being your slave, what should I do but tend upon the hours and times of your desires? I have no precious time at all to spend, nor services to do till you require. Nor dare I chide the world without end hour, whilst I, my sovereign, watch the clock for you, nor think the bitterness of absence sour when you have bid your servant once adieu. Nor dare I question with my jealous thought where you may be or your affairs suppose, but like a sad slave stay and think of naught, save where you are, how happy you make those. So true a fool is love that in your will, though you do anything, he thinks no ill." Oh, isn't yeah. that nice? Mm, mm. Yeah, Tell us why is... it's more than nice. <laughs> this is the BDSM sonnet. This is, is the it sonnet now? about a dom sub relationship. Okay. Um, Explain. Yeah, walk for, us through that. I'm not for, saying I don't believe for, you, but like walk yeah. our listeners through that. Right. Yeah. This if if that's not a word phrase that it makes sense to you if you're not in plugged into those circles mm-hmm. um a dom sub relationship is is uh, a kinky relationship i mean depending on who who you ask <laughs> some people think it's kinky some people don't uh mm-hmm. in in which one partner is dominant and the other is submissive um and that can be on a spectrum that can be very very dominant very very submissive just sort of medium levels like there there are all kinds of flavors of of dom sub um but it's sexy because Mm -hmm. susan being your slave what should i do but tend upon the hours and times of your desires Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um i teach this sonnet uh in in my in my britlet survey uh i don't explicitly talk about kink and bdsm and power plays sure uh, but i do (laughs) i do point out that that this is uh there's some some submission going on um and i have the the arden edition of the sonnets edited by Catherine duncan jones and the gloss she gives of this sonnet the one sentence mm-hmm. gloss is claiming to be wholly subservient physically and mentally to the wishes and commitments of his young friend the speaker nonetheless indicates that he is aware that his absent friend may not be employing his time well hmm Holy okay. subservient. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. That's hot. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Anyway. To, what do you, what do you well, got? Thank you. Um, my, my favorite sonnet has always been, mm-hmm. since I read it for the mm-hmm. first time, when I was maybe 12 or 13. Sure. Um, sonnet 130. No, which is not it. unfamiliar to a lot of people. It's yeah. a pretty well-known sonnet, mm-hmm. but here it is anyway. Yes. And then I'll tell you why I like it. Sonnet 130. <clears throat> My mistress' eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why, then her breasts are done. If hair be wires, black wires grow on her head. 
I have seen roses damasked red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes there is more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. And yet, by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. I love this sonnet. I love this sonnet so very much. And it's one of those that has always stuck with me because... When I first encountered it, I had no idea that it was one of those satirical sonnets. I had no idea mm-hmm. that this was Shakespeare's snarky response to a blazon, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I just read it as, you know, a tween who was like, oh, this person that he's speaking of is somehow ugly. And yet this person wrote a beautiful poem for her. Mm-hmm. So, so it's possible. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I, I don't know, it gave me hope as a really awkward teenager and pre-teenager that that was a possible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always loved it for that. Even later when someone was like, you know, it's a snarky. I was like, okay, that's fine. I love snark. Mm-hmm. I love a good, like, mm-hmm. satirical response. Uh, I'm all about that. But yeah. also... When you just take it at face value. Yeah. Um, I think it says a lot about, you know, beauty being in the eyes of the beholder and mm-hmm. there's someone for everyone. Yeah. Um, and I, I've always loved it for that. So Same. it's one of those that's like locked in my memory. I don't really need to read it from the page because I know yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have I have always liked that. Same. So that is my that is my favorite sonnet. Although, I mean, there are others like mm-hmm. 129 is a pretty good one right before it and that one i wouldn't call it sexy oh, <laughs> it's yes. about the the aftermath and shame after sex uh, or after really not sex even just emissions uh, it's about nocturnal uh-huh, emissions uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> expensive um, spirit in a waste of shame right uh mm-hmm. that was one that i didn't come to love until someone did explain it to me later <laughs> when i was an adult and i was like it's about what now that's it's awesome. about ejaculation. Yeah, <laughs> it's about ejaculation. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I feel like there are so many sonnets. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. to everything and to everyone. There is a season and a sonnet. Yeah, like you, yeah. you know, like there are going to be. And like you said, you know, fifty-seven right now is a current favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you've got like others that resonate with you, and I think that's just the beautiful thing about poetry in general right Um, some words are going to hit you differently on a different day than Mm -hmm. others Um, yeah i've i've also started teaching um 18 shall i compare they do a summer's day sure uh, sure because that is such a part of the cultural consciousness but my students don't know it right like they know yeah shall i compare they do a summer's day but they don't know what it's from right they don't know it's shakespeare or that it's attached to a sonnet yeah yeah um and so i you know i blow some minds every every year um which is just like the most fun i used to teach 29 uh which is when in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes oh yes um, because that is the sonnet that we read at our wedding not we, mm. you and I, but we and my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Unless you want to keep up the facade that you and right, I are getting yes, married. Which we <laughs> may be. Um, yeah, and then I just, I, I mean, I, I still love it. They, my ended marriage did not spoil me on that sonnet, but, yeah. um, was, you know, I, you can't, I can't teach everything is, is what? The, the problem. Um <laughs> No. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Another favorite of mine is um 40. I'm trying to Ooh. find it. What I couldn't remember the number of it. I remember the the first line of it, but I had to go back into my index here. It's take all my loves, my love, yay, take them all. Mm. And I just love the repetition in the in the that line. Take mm. all my loves, my love, yay, take them all. I just mm-hmm. um I love it so much. What hast thou then more than thou hadst before? 
No, my no love, my love, that thou mayst true love call. All mine was thine before thou hadst this more. Like, it's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Which I will get into the rhetoric of some of these sonnets when it's my turn to talk about sonnets. But Jess, since you're, you know, you teach sonnets pretty frequently. I do. I do. Um, are there other sonnets you want to talk about before we jump into our tips yeah, and tidbits segment? I'm or flipping through. Um, <laughs> now we're flipping through and like trying to yeah. find all of our other favorites. Yeah. I which I should have foreseen. I should have been like, right. let's read three of our favorite ones instead yes. of just one. But it's um, fine. Yeah. So. Not not a super favorite, but a, a pretty famous one. Seventy one, no longer mourn for me when I am dead. Oh yes, mm-hmm. right gets gets read at funerals a lot. Yep, yep. Um, Seventy three has was my first favorite, I think, um, and and has long been a favorite. That time of year, thou mayst in me behold when yellow leaves are none or few do hang. Mm-hmm. Um, started About growing that. old. It yeah. sure is, and I I I am sure growing old. <laughs> um sonnet 116 shows up a lot at, at sure, weddings sure. uh let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments yep uh, and it also of course makes the famous cameo in the movie sense and sensibility which does it it does yeah kate winslet as marianne out there on the heath reciting the poetry in the rain and then she like gets pneumonia or some crap yeah it's <laughs> but yes right. yeah it's like I, a feature um, in that in that adaptation hate jane austen so i know well i don't think jane austen makes as much of a big deal of it as emma thompson did when she wrote the screenplay adaptation right yeah um uh, another another one that i love is 98 from you i have been absent in the spring Mm. uh okay i'm gonna put that away all right uh yeah so what i'm gonna give you now is just uh my first day sonnets lecture (laughs) every you know that i do every semester um it is it's a it's a little abbreviated i felt like you didn't need uh quite all of the context that i give um i don't we're, I'm, I'm not really going to talk about Henry Howard and Thomas Wyatt today, um, except to say that Thomas Wyatt is responsible for the introduction of the sonnet to the English language. That is a thing that I repeat six or seven or eight times to make sure that my students get it. Um, although I, I do that less now because I don't give them tests anymore because tests are silly and there are better ways to gauge learning than making students regurgitate facts about sonnets anyway so what the hell is a sonnet well a sonnet is a 14 line poem written in iambic pentameter that follows a specific rhyme scheme a specific organization and a specific motif or theme uh, it's an Italian form that was popularized by Petrarch, and Petrarchan sonnets consist of an octave and a sestet. These are the two parts of a sonnet. So the octave is the first two quatrains, so quatrain four, four lines each. Quatrain is four lines, so two of four is an eight, and that is an octave. Math. And the octave sets up the problem of the poem and usually concludes with a turn or a volta. Um, so octave, eight lines, and then the sestet is the final quatrain and couplet, so quatrain four, couplet two, six lines, sestet, there we go, uh, which resolves the poem. The Petrarchan octave always uses an A-B-B-A-A-B-B-A rhyme scheme. The Petrarchan sestet varies its rhyme scheme, um, sometimes C-D-C-D-C-D or C-D-E-C-D-E, but it always avoids a final rhyming couplet. Petrarchan sonnet does not have the rhyming couplet that we come to expect knowing Shakespeare sonnets, okay? Um, Petrarchan sonnets usually focus on celebrations of love, Petrarchan lovers are constant. Love is continuing. It's a transformative experience. Women are idealized. Men are valiant. Everybody's perfect. <laughs> okay, so that's what a Petrarchan sonnet is. That's where we we begin. English sonnets slash the sonnets that Thomas Wyatt introduced into English literary tradition are different. And how are they different? Well, Thomas Wyatt follows the Petrarchan octave rhyme scheme, but most often he uses a sestet rhyme scheme of C, D, D, C, E, E, and introduces that final rhyming couplet that are we have come to expect um, in English sonnets and that Shakespeare really 
hammered home. He's, mm-hmm. He cemented that. He he got yeah. in there and he was like, mm, "Have a couplet, babe. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make it rain couplets." Uh, <laughs> except not because you only get anyway. Um, love, <laughs> however, in in an English sonnet, uh, is is you know often constant and transformative and ideal except also uh it's often um you know disillusioned and and we get some complaint and we've change and inconstancy and you know other mm-hmm. bad things that come with loving real people and not idealized characters oh, yes. um Thomas Wyatt's love poems are bitter and angry and cynical and you know longing and passionate and also like misogynistic often sure yeah can't trust those women they're gonna break your heart I mean do you know his sonnet to Anne Boleyn like yikes I know I mean he's not the first to write hate poetry to ladies and he's definitely not the last nope Um, Okay, so then now briefly, I want to talk about patronage, because it's important to Shakespeare. Um, And so patronage in England is the system by which writers were funded and supported by aristocrats. Um, It came with money and protection and prestige and some upward mobility and allowed them to write. Importantly, you know, it gave them funds to do their writing. Uh, Shakespeare may have had early patronage from Henry Risley, who's the Earl of Southampton, or William Herbert, who's the Earl of Pembroke. We don't know for sure. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the dedication on on the, the printed edition of the sonnets says to WH. Um, so that's, that's why we mm-hmm. think it was probably one of these two men. Also, they were famous literary patrons and had other ties to Shakespeare's company and fellows. And so mm-hmm. anyway. Um, okay. So William Jefferson Shakespeare wrote his sonnets uh, between 1598 and 1599, and they were circulated in manuscript. Aubrey, what does that mean? What's a manuscript? Uh, a manuscript is a handwritten fair copy that has not been printed yet. Yeah, that's Am I exactly right about it. that? That's Yay, exactly gold it. star yeah. for me. Yeah. Star student. Um, Cheese. Yeah. Okay. So he he wrote them, you know, by hand and then circulated them among his his friends and colleagues and probably the people he was trying to sleep with also. Oh know? yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and like hey babe, were... I've got this killer poetry. <laughs> right? It's going to get you so revved up. <laughs> um so they were they were all collected and printed together uh, in 1609. So that's a full decade later. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Shakespeare's sonnets are unusual when compared with other sonnet sequences from the same era. Usually, subjects of sonnets were chaste, virtuous, fair young women. Mm-hmm. Um, Shakespeare's sonnets are not that nope, sort of <laughs> they, notoriously not that yeah they are are split between a beautiful young man uh and a a dark sensuous promiscuous older woman mm. um importantly and that's another thing that i love to blow my students minds with is that like most of these sonnets were written to and about a man and they're like that's true <gasps> what yeah it's like two-thirds of them or something yeah yeah. and i'm like no shakespeare wasn't gay because these are modern labels that we can't apply (laughs) historically but they understood sexuality much different than we did so and human beauty too like Uh you know like the renaissance it's it's peak renaissance right now Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. appreciation of the human form Mm -hmm. both male and female is kind of like a big deal to make art like any kind of art about yeah so so yeah all of those factors are kind of swirling around in there not just shakespeare jones and for some d which maybe he was i don't know maybe he was i don't know his life i mean most people don't right (laughs) so uh yeah yeah so the moods of the sonnets hit you know the standard love joy beauty delight um but they also go through pride and shame and disgust and fear and melancholy which is one of the many reasons you know that we love them um, so we have no proof that the the printed order is the order that Shakespeare wrote them in or intended to be read them in or intended them to be read in, in which uh-huh. the order he intended in which them 
Red. This is a classic case Too of bad. accidental hyperbaton <laughs> where Jess is going through some really syntactical <laughs> gymnastics to try to figure out her sentence in real time. <laughs> I'm not sure that was accidental. I definitely did that on purpose. Yeah, okay, yes. I yep. mean, once once I realized that I wasn't saying what I wanted to say, then sure. I continued to talk and then I made it a bit. And the reason that I made it a bit was because I think that's funny. And the reason and I think jokes it's funny are always funny when you explain them <laughs> and that's our show in a nutshell uh, yeah thanks for listening. rhetoric Come and explained jokes <laughs> goodbye um right okay so the the sonnets uh break down into three distinct sections Sonnets 1 through 17 are about the physical beauty of a young man, and they urge him to marry and have lots of sex and babies so that he can carry on his genes, and the world will never be bereft of his beauty because there will mm. always be a copy in his descendants forever and ever, and also mm. he's so beautiful and hot. And... So eugenics, basically. Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare's, like, promoting eugenics yeah, through these yeah. sonnets. Yeah, I Great. see no reason why we would get in trouble for saying that definitively the sonnets prove that Shakespeare was a eugenics genesis mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitively this, yeah uh yeah. you heard it here first folks so mm -hmm. uh aubrey and i will take our nobel prize for literature you know any any old you're day. welcome world we solved yeah. it <laughs> um so the the very large middle section uh which is 18 to 126 focuses on passion inspired by the young man and it laments the destructive power of time which can only be combated by the power of love and the permanence of poetry and also having lots of sex and babies the remaining sonnets which is like 20 or so uh are concerned with the dark lady as mm. an intriguing and degrading object of lust mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so much hotter <laughs> my lusty gargle <laughs> yep I can't, I can't do it it is really fun to is. watch you try <laughs> anyway so hot um, so some of those sonnets in the last section indicate a love triangle between the speaker, the dark lady, and a rival poet. Bum, 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 bum. Mm. Um, we have no idea of the identities of any of the characters involved. I need to make that super fucking clear. Anyone who ever fucking tells you that they know definitively who the fair young youth or the dark lady or the rival poet is, they are lying. Punch them in the face and run the other direction. That's a Direct order. Punch them in the face and then run. Uh, the rival poet has been suggested as Christopher Marlowe or George mm. Chapman. There is no evidence of any of this. You're welcome, world. Yeah. I think it's just fun for people to think about Marlowe and Shakespeare competing mm -hmm. over a lady. But um, the, you know. the dark lady has also been suggested as Amelia Lanier, who was uh -huh. uh, a poet. Uh, in her own right, and also mm -hmm. just kind of a badass. Um, There's anyway. also a great play about that that is there? like explores. It's called Amelia. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it explores uh -huh, that course. idea of Shakespeare's dark lady and who yeah. she may have been and who this person was. <clears throat> yeah. But again, no proof, no proof None at proof. all. It's yeah. fun to explore though. Yeah, it's fun to think um, about. So my 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 bringing it home, and mm -hmm. this is the last thing that I do before I go over what the fuck is iambic pentameter with my students uh, -huh. uh is the rhyme scheme for shakespeare sonnets which is different mm -hmm. than petrarchan sonnets different than thomas wyatt sonnets um so the most frequent rhyme scheme that shakespeare uses uh although there are often variations um is a b a b c d c d e f e f gg um the pattern calls attention to each of the three quatrains which work together or separately to develop metaphors and then the couplet which confirms the poem point the poem's point or contains a surprise twist ending as in the case of sonnet 130 my mistress eyes are nothing like the sun so that's that's sonnets man that was your crash course in in shakespeare sonnets and english sonnets in general and yeah. You're welcome. Now you know equally as much as my uh, British literature survey students. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And actually, it You're helps welcome. me because I um, am never quite sure what the difference is between a Petrarchan sonnet and mm -hmm. a Shakespeare sonnet. Yep. Um, but I think also this drives home like 
this feeling that I have, and maybe you have it too, that a lot of people did the same stuff that Shakespeare did. Oh, it just happens no. <laughs> that Shakespeare did it better. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, Shakespeare yeah. did a lot of it better. Um, sure. Thomas Middleton might have something to say about that with the dramatic literature. But when it comes to this poetry, like he really does, Shakespeare does, like you said, branch off into mm-hmm. topics that are not usually discussed in a mm-hmm. quote unquote love poem. Right. Yeah. Uh, and blazoning the fair young lady. It's like, no, I'm going to tell you how handsome this man is. And like, you know. Just, I know, I know that we've had this conversation before, but just real quick, what's a blazon? Oh, a blazon. Yeah, it's a poem that itemizes the physical features of the intended recipient of that poem. So, mm-hmm. my lady's eyes are beautiful, and then her yeah. nose and her mouth and her tits and her ass and and her <laughs> fingers and her toes and like all yeah. the things you think are great about her, you put in a poem. The yeah, um, that's a blazon. One one really great, clear, awesome example comes from twelfth night right when when mm, Violet's like yes. item two lips olivia um, yes olivia whoever yeah yeah whatever woman it is mm-hmm. inventorying whoever else's physical yeah beauty. and she's making yeah. fun of that yeah 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 it's a absolutely it's yeah. a blazon yes thank you for reminding me of that not everybody has been a long time listener and has heard our other definitions of this long time listener first time caller yeah. <laughs> um so now would usually be the point where i would step in and be like cool let's talk about production things that you need to think about when producing whatever it is um yeah. but like don't produce sonnets uh sonnets or poems but i okay so here's what i am going to talk about um So a lot of people, teachers, directors from different fields, a lot of people do this. They assign the memorization and then performance of a sonnet as like a baby step into performing Shakespeare or other dramatic poetry. I mean, how many times have you had to memorize a sonnet? So So many times. So So many many times. I've worked with professional directors who feel Mm -hmm. like it's a definite step in your process. I have been in acting classes so many, like acting 101 (laughs) and and even upper level acting classes where it's like, oh, just pick a sonnet. Because it's, and I think the temptation is because it's bite-sized, right? It's Uh 14 lines. That's like a minute of performance. It's quick and easy to You know, um, from the teacher's perspective, it's totally easy to grade because it's just a short little thing. You're not like, you know, your students have a little less time to like indulge themselves on stage. You know what I mean? Um, If you're an acting teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, So I I get why it's tempting. I'm going to make an argument for why maybe you shouldn't do that. Right. Um, as a as a baby step to performing Shakespeare, yeah. some some people act like it's you know dipping your toe into Shakespeare's language, which it is in a way, um, because Shakespeare wrote both plays and poems. But Shakespeare's poems are nothing like the plays that he wrote, right? Uh, and so okay, so if you're if you're trying if you're a person teaching acting or performance or or even just like speech right and communications and you want to assign a poem. Um, do it for the poem's sake and not for the drama or the acting. Uh, like, find find short speeches from plays instead. Plenty of Shakespeare's plays have, like, little ten-line or less uh, speeches that if you feel like your acting students need a little bit of a, you know, like a stepping stone into a longer monologue, do that. Because then they get the context of that character within a story they get then what's available to them is the varieties of interpretation of that character whereas i I feel like you're not going to get that in a poem right uh the poem is it's very clearly one speaker one recipient and and one has all of the control and perspective and the other is sort of an inert object right um so like any professional actor will tell you that they need something to do Mm -hmm. not something to feel Mm-hmm. Right. At least any professional actor who has actually had some training and knows what the fuck they're doing. Like any of them will tell you it is harder when some, when a director says to you or anybody says to you as an actor, play this feeling. You're like, that's really hard to do. Right. That's that's actually incredibly hard to do because then you're forced to like mimic the 
what you think that feeling looks like as opposed to just doing something right yeah if you yeah yeah. so picking a selection from a play gives you those immediate answers to those questions like who is this person what are they doing right now why are they saying the things that they're saying like it is a much richer acting exercise to take an actual character from a play even if it's just you know 10 lines of a speech or five lines even right start baby steps from a character from a play don't make your beginning acting students perform a sonnet uh and even like even the professionals can't do sonnets justice like if anybody followed during quarantine sir sir patrick stewart was mm-hmm. reading the sonnet a day for a mm-hmm. while and then he kind of fell off and then he got back into it but he he eventually got through all of them like he's just sitting there reading it man he his his affect is flat he's clearly reveling in the words because that's his training and like that's great um you know a uh, friend and colleague Brandon Carter did the same thing. He's an actor at ASC. Um, he did the same thing on Instagram, but he went out of his way to make little Instagram videos that gave the context. He went ahead and like invented context on his own. Like he went and bid, did all of that back work that you shouldn't have to do with a sonnet, right? Um, and he did that for him, and that's great. And you know, they're, some of his little videos are just precious and I love them. Um, and I love him for his effort for doing that. But like as an acting exercise for brand new actors, I feel like you're really doing them a disservice by requiring that. Also, not all poetry needs to be quote unquote performed, right? It is. Yes. It doesn't need to be performed. Sonnets are not intended to be necessarily performed, like read aloud, maybe like hear the language, enjoy the language, find resonance in those words and the construction and like feel the feelings. That's what I love about poetry. It, it It's more akin to the way I feel about music, right? When something resonates with me and I'm just really feeling it and I'm like getting where the speaker's head is at that's more of a fulfilling experience than like trying to make it acting. Right. Um, So I would suggest, you know, if you still want to teach sonnets uh, and have students even memorize them and recite them, sure. But like, don't put the pressure on the, on acting, right? If you just want your students to get more confident at reading stuff out loud, then use the sonnets to teach rhetoric instead, you know, teach them how to look at like a, a, a short little 14 line poem and find the patterns and construction and, and all of the things that go into making that work joyful or as Shakespeare's are sometimes full of shame and disgust and like mining the text for that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. looking at repetition and looking at patterns, you know, and direction. And, you know, the, the reason, uh, what was it? Sonnet 40 that I pulled out, take all my loves, my love. Yay. Take them all. Like mm-hmm. you can experience the joy of that phrase because of the repetition that it uses without having to like get up and act it. Right. I mean, also seriously do that assignment f- that the teacher did in 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. Like have kids write their own sonnets. You know what I'm saying? Like sonnets is so hard. It's really hard, but hard in this sense is good. You know, yeah. like struggling through emulating this kind of writing yeah. uh, and, and even the attempt, like it doesn't have to be perfect because nothing's ever going to be, but like helping young writers or new writers or not, uh, what's the word for not confident? Not confident writers. Unconfident. Uh, I know. I was like, uh, uh, nervous, insecure, nervous mm-hmm. writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, helping them emulate that writing and and using some of those rhetorical devices themselves, right? And then imbuing the poem with that vulnerability and the the deep feelings that poetry helps us put words to. Mm-hmm. Like that is a more useful exercise than making your students perform a sonnet or imposing some kind of context over a sonnet that you can then act. Like, don't do that. Help them learn how to read it. Help them learn how to write it. It will make them more confident writers, right? By emulating that style, I think. That is my plea. Please, please, (laughs) please don't make your kids perform sonnets. I have... Also never struggled 
harder to memorize something than to memorize a sonnet. I don't know why, I don't know what it is about sonnets, but they are so much harder to memorize than any other kind of dramatic literature. Yeah. Because they're not dramatic literature. Right, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's because when you're reading a play, you Mm -hmm. have the logic of the line to follow. Mm -hmm. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh, this person's answering in this way because they want this, that, and the other, and they need these things from the the listener and whatever. Mm -hmm. With a sonnet, that's not as cut and dry, right? And yeah, me too. I have, I had the hardest time when that director that we both know and worked with made us memorize a sonnet. That motherfucker. Um, And his whole thing was like, well, this whole thing is a persuasion. You're the thing you're going to do is persuade, right? But like I can't maintain persuasion for no. 14 lines. No. And that's not enough of a do, that's not enough of an action to help me internalize the logic of the lines either because poetry doesn't have to be logical and a lot of times these poems aren't logical and I think you're right it's harder to memorize even when you have the scansion working for you which is something a lot of actors are like oh yeah it's so much easier to memorize verse because you have the rhythms and whatever it's easier to internalize Mm -hmm. um, and memorize it than you know um, modern writing like even when you have that on your side you don't have the the logic of a character because love poems are not logical they're just not like even some of the poems will tell you my love is not logical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just it's an exercise in failure. And uh, mm-hmm. and if that's part of your pedagogy, then I guess I can't stop you. Um, <laughs> I can. Like, I can stop you. <laughs> but like there are other ways to safely teach students how to fail and recover from failure than by assigning something that's basically impossible. Yeah. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Don't abuse your students like that. <laughs> not your acting students, not your English students. Don't like do just it. don't do it. Don't do don't it. Do it. Yeah. So shall we uh, tune in to the Kingsmen? Let's or Queensmen. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know. Keeping up with the Queensmen. What is the play, and what is my part? This is our last, our last uh, Queensmen play. Um, Yeah. Is is what it is, Uh, and it is the tragical reign of Salimus, or maybe Salimus. Or maybe Selimus. Uh, but I'm going to say Selimus because that's what I'm going to say. Um, right, it was written probably by Robert Greene, probably in 1591. Uh, and it was definitely printed in 1594. And uh, do you want to do you want to hear the plot, Aubrey? I, know I do, do so I badly. Who is this Selimus guy? Yeah. All right. Here's the plot. OK. The Turkish Empire is under pressure. In a world, <laughs> uh, and and in the Turkish Empire, uh, Emperor Under Pressure, Emperor Bajazeth uh, intends to bequeath the throne to Akamat, who is the middle of his three surviving sons, but the youngest son, Selimus is maneuvering for power mm. in a world. Uh, Salimus, <laughs> Salimus marches on his father, Bajazeth, who flees and then tries to defuse the situation by granting Salimus a governorship of a province not yet conquered by the Turks. Salimus gives battle. He's defeated. He flees to Tartary. Akamat, his older brother, the middle brother, decides to take advantage of the situation to get himself installed as emperor, but the eldest brother, Corkut dissuades Bajazeth from abdication. Akamat rebels and has his nephew Muhammad killed. Bajazeth sends Lord Aga to reason with Akamat, but Akamat blinds Aga and sends him back without his hands. Sends him back without his hands. Rude. Yeah. Uh, Bajazeth is induced to recall Salimus to lead his troops against Akamat. He submits himself to his father, but the Pashas make him emperor. Bajazeth is deposed and goes into retirement. Salimus sends Abraham the Jew to poison his father, Bajazeth. Eldest brother, Corkut, initially escapes from the Pashas, sent to murder him and begs food from a shepherd, but his page betrays him and he is captured. Salimus rewards the page's treachery by having him starved to death because, <laughs> you know, Corkett has been converted to Christianity by the shepherd uh, and okay. then he 
predicts Salimus's death and then gets strangled. Uh, Akhamet joins forces with the Persians and Egyptians. Turkish Lord Mustafa tells Akhamet's sons that Salimus plans to attack them, and they flee. Mustafa is strangled for warning them. Salimus besieges Amasia and takes prisoner its queen, Akhamet's wife. Uh, Akhamet gives battle but loses and is strangled. Salimus has room of the last rival for the throne and now plans to attack Egypt and Persia. The end. It's like, um, it's a bloody one. Yeah, it's like Tamburlaine, but different. I was just gonna say the name Bajazeth though comes up yeah. in Tamburlaine. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Is I it the same Bajazeth? I have no idea. Huh. I, Interesting. I know not. Interesting. Um, so my question is how are you gonna cut off someone's hands on stage? I don't know. I would uh, but, love to find out. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's it. Those are our Queensman plays. And uh, now it's time to hear from our listeners yeah. about what they want us to do for our final episode. Yeah. Um, so is it going to be Salimus or some of those other plays that we named that I can't remember off the top of my head? So the the list of plays. Aha, here we go. That, that we have to choose from other than Salimus are famous victories of henry v okay history play uh Uh, friar bacon friar bungay this Mm. was the one with the the magic friars (laughs) then there's the old wife's tale which we Uh are definitely gonna do this it's just happening so you don't need to vote for it because we're doing it i have decreed (laughs) that this this will happen executive decision okay yes um then we have king lear and his three daughters Mm -hmm. uh the troublesome reign of john king of england Mm. The true tragedy of Richard III. Mm. The true one, not the false one. Yes, the tragical reign of Salimus. So basically it is, do you want us to do Salimus? Do you want us to do an English history play? Or do you want us to do Friar Bacon and Friar Bunke? Basically, yeah. choices. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, Um, that's a really concise way to put it. Yeah, there we go. If you have thoughts, send us an email. You can get in touch at Hala at hurlyburlyshakespearshow.com or via the contact form on our website, which is hurlyburlyshakespearshow.com. All right. Do you want to play a game? Yeah, I would love to play a game. I would love to do another round of the Lost Plays Mm -hmm. database game, Mm -hmm. which we haven't done in a a few episodes. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't done it since since its inaugural (laughs) go-round. Okay, so in case you forgot, the Lost Plays database, uh, lostplays.folger.edu slash, well, I'm at years because we're sorting sorting through the plays by year, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's it's a catalog of titles and whatever is known about those titles and their performance history. But the manuscripts themselves have been lost to time. So mm-hmm. that leaves it open to interpretation by title. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this time, Jess is the victim. <laughs> I mean, yes. player one. Yes. Um, she's going to tell me a year, and then I'm going to mm-hmm. pick a year, uh, mm-hmm. and then we will go from there. I forget. And then you need to pick yeah. a letter of the alphabet. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. So that's how um, we're kind of randomizing. What's my date range? So it spans from the 1570s to the 1670s. Um, Ooh, all right. Yeah. Um, let's go. <laughs> let's go with. Let's go with sixteen sixteen. Sixteen sixteen. Lovely. Yeah. Well, there are only two titles to choose from. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, That's just awesome. Give me, give me. Give me the first letters. Yeah. Uh, one begins with a J, and one begins with an M. All right. Well, we're gonna go with J because my name is Jess. So second, I hope I picked a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um. You you did the sixteen sixteen okay. title. You're you've chosen, mm-hmm. uh, is a Fletcher Field and Massinger collabo called Fuck the Jeweler yeah. called the Jeweler of Amsterdam. Oh, I the love Jeweler this play. of Amsterdam. I love this play. Okay. Let Wait, me, so you know. Me, okay. So now you, you get a minute. Play. Yeah, you get a yeah. minute to summarize what you think this lost play may yeah, yeah. have been about. No, I know so. exactly what this play is about. Um, do you now? Okay. Yes. Do, you, do you need me to time myself? Or are you timing me? Who's timing? Oh, yeah. I can time you. And <laughs> go. Okay. So the Jeweler of Amsterdam is about Monsieur 
Cartier, who is, uh, he, he lives in Amsterdam, um, and he's jeweler to the stars of Amsterdam. And the stars of Amsterdam, of course, are the prostitutes. Um, so it's, it's a funny romp, rom-com situation where, like, there's some mistaken identity and he gives jewels to, the, you know, like the not top prostitute when he, it's supposed to go to the top prostitute. Um, and so then, like, there's some upward mobility, right? Because he gives it to like the low girl on the block, and then because now she has all the Cartier jewels, she rises to the top, and then they fall in love. Okay, and it's like it's like a rich man poor man situation. Uh-huh. Um, also, there's a subplot that involves French fries because Amsterdam loves Obviously. their French fries. Yep, uh, and that's the jeweler of Amsterdam. That's ding it. ding ding! Yeah. That's what it is in a that's nutshell. <laughs> right? Good I job. Love this play. I love it's a this must play. see. It's like uh, the yeah. OG Pretty Woman story. Almost. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a yeah. it's a sex comedy. Yeah, <laughs> a sex comedy as opposed to yeah. a sex tragedy. How yeah. refreshing! Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So now that you've given us the fake version, yeah, no, um, tell me exactly uh, how yeah. right I am. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. So according to the Lost Plays database, here's what we know. Uh, it was entered into the stationer's register on April eighth, fifteen sixteen fifty four, um, by wow, a ma- by a late. master Mosley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a sixteen sixteen oh, play, fuck. To- is that sorry? Is that fucking Humphrey Mosley? Cause that bitch. Maybe. I bet, it, I bet yeah. the fuck it was. That motherfucker is all the fuck all up in the second fucking chapter of my dissertation fucking my shit up. Fuck Humphrey Mosley. Okay. Fuck him. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, carry on. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, there's some music that has survived from it. The Wiggins... <gasps> Yeah, the Wiggins notes that some music which may have been associated with the play was included in John Adson's courtly masking airs. Mm. Uh, That music is not identified other than by its numeric designation. However, the same music appears as item 91 in some British library code that I'm not going to bother to read. Uh, This time under the the title, quote, Van Welly. Um, I don't. It's like Van Helsing, except it's about rubber boots. Van Welly, yeah, Uh, and might therefore pertain to the murdered protagonist of this lost play, which because apparently there's a murdered protagonist. Uh, The King's Men had the playing of this play. That's its theatrical provenance. Um, Probably a tragedy. Gets murdered. It says probable genre tragedy, semicolon true crime. Yeah, it may have been a true crime play. So oh that's exciting. God. Yeah. Monsieur um, Cartier, true uh, crime. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so possible narrative and dramatic sources or analogs, they say. The subject matter of this lost play is almost certainly the murder of John DeWelly, a jeweler of Amsterdam, who was robbed and killed by two men associated with the court of Maurice, Prince of Orange, at The Hague. Hi, I'm Maurice, the Prince of Orange. Amazing. <laughs> Europe. Uh, the murderers, John de Paris and John de Vigny, uh, knowing that Dewelly had brought precious jewels to the prince, coaxed him into the chamber where he is there shot, stabbed, and strangled. Jesus. Holy crap. Yeah, so that's what it may or may not have been about. Um, so you were way off base. But also, (laughs) was I, though? I know, right? It's a much nicer outcome for that jeweler, I'll tell you. Yeah, and the recipients of his jewels. Amazing. It kind of does. I need it. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for playing that round of Lost Plays database Mm -hmm, game. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. That was exciting. So we have a little bit of gossip and then we're going to get the fuck out of here. I'm just going to, you know, reiterate that if you are looking for the entire collection, all 154 sonnets performed in some type of way, check out. Brandon Carter, he's at Mr. Carter um, with a three in there for one of the E's um, on Instagram. It's the, yes, I believe it's, yeah. You should Um, should specify. I should. Uh, uh, But he he has performed and or made a video of every single sonnet. Um, They are bite-sized, of course, because they're sonnets. They're cuter than Sir Patrick's because he, he just took the time to make like little sonnet movies. So you should watch them. Um, so I'm, I'm plugging that this time. 
What what you got, Jess? Okay, so the first thing that happened this week, the only thing that happened this week, actually. So just just a, a couple of days ago, um, although by the time this comes out, it will be like 10 days ago, yeah. um, Dr. Mary Ramberin Olm, who is a medievalist who works somewhere toronto sorry the university of toronto is where where she's at took took issue this week um with uh, a piece posted by the sundial and what's the sundial the sundial is a scholarly blog situation um run uh, by the arizona center for medieval and renaissance studies that's that's where race before race is based Uh and so as you might imagine the sundial posts a lot of anti-racist pieces and most of them are very good anyway so the the sundial posted um this week empty flags and fallen angeli uh by a person chris m olson i think is is who this person is um which is quote an overview of not only the medieval and late ancient iconography co-opted by white supremacists but also dante's divine comedy um and dr mro uh took some issue with this piece uh, said that it perpetuates the same problems of white supremacist discourse in the very article that it's supposed to be highlighting problems of misappropriation. Um, she calls it Columbusine and poor editing. I did not read the piece. The piece has since been taken down. Uh, the The Sundial editors said, hey, you are correct. We got it wrong um we're gonna be in touch with the author and see if we can do some edits and fix some issues uh the author apparently stood by everything so the sundial Mm. took the piece down i believe the author also deleted their twitter although that might be uh misreporting i haven't Mm -hmm. looked to be clear um so there was you know it's a small little dust up i think it's really it's good on uh the sundial for recognizing that criticism and being like yes you are right we're gonna fix this Mm -hmm. um although it's upsetting that a white supremacist piece got through editing in the first place yeah i i'm glad that the sundial is uh owning their mistakes and doing better so um so that happened uh and and that happened then that's all there is to say about that is (laughs) um dr mro's twitter takedown and dissection still Mm -hmm. searchable like can you still find it on twitter if some if somebody were interested Mm in and what is her handle is it her Her, yes yeah uh uh yes um her handle is at isa saxonists Mm, yes okay yeah um and she's great you should follow her anyway uh this this tweet happened on january 14th if you are interested in in looking for it that way which was probably helpful because she tweets a lot and retweets a lot and Mm -hmm. um it's just awesome she's a good follow so Mm -hmm. you should you should follow her um the other thing that i just want to shout out is that um registration is open now for the shakespeare association of america annual meeting which is all virtual this year the whole thing is virtual and it all happens on eastern standard time so you should register and do that thing um there's some really good panels this year uh also if you are a member which i believe you have to be to register although that might be wrong yeah okay yeah Um, uh, so you should be a member and then you should register. And as you register and are a member, you should vote for uh, the next vice president of the association and also trustees. And I would just like to endorse um, for trustees, Michelle Dowd, who is my dissertation advisor. Oh, yes, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is wonderful and will make a great fucking trustee. Uh, and then also both candidates for uh, vice president are awesome um but i would like to personally endorse curtis perry who's at the university of illinois urbana champaign that also the other candidate will be great either of them will be great so exercise your democratic process principles and vote voting is important even for saa well and if you're yeah if you're going to be part of a member of an organization like take an active interest in that organization and who runs it you know yeah that's democracy 101 people yeah fucking we love democracy we're big fans here on the hurley burley shakespeare show democracy yep Yep. big fans big fans of democracy oh man okay well 
Thank you so much for listening. We hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started. Tune in next time for some gay-ass shit. It's going to be so gay. It's going to be so good. And also, <laughs> we're going to talk about butts. Yes. More and talk if, about butts. Yeah. If that <laughs> doesn't tell you what play we're doing, well, then you're just going to have to wait and find out. Yep, but it's going to be, be gay and we're going to talk about butts. It's going to be great. Right. Okay. Whamlet out. Whamlet out. The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurleyburleyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurleyburleyshake, no S, on Twitter. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which I record, the Muskegee Creek Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past and present. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land currently referred to as Stanton, Virginia, the Monacan and Manahoac nations, and pay my respect to their elders past and present. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. Can we talk about how I discovered that you had made the switch? Sure. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> when I received your Christmas letter. Uh-huh. Uh, I write you, a Christmas letter, people. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Yep. You had you had not mentioned any of this to me in all of our many conversations over the I mean, the, why would I? I don't know. I, it hadn't come up. I... <laughs> I mean, I guess, but also we talk about like everything. That's true. So, um, sorry, no, <laughs> my bad. I, yeah. Well, and then I was like, I read it, and you were like, "Yeah, I stopped buying toilet paper, and I got a bidet, and I texted you in all caps, and I said, how you wiping your butt, Whitlock?'" <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Jess was deeply concerned about my butt. I was. I was. You know, that's friendship.